Welcome to Wimlex episode number 31. Today, Lena Hackeder, our new host from Sweden, is interviewing uh, the founder of BigRoy.com, one of the biggest websites in Bangladesh and uh, de facto the biggest marketplace over there. It's offering very, very interesting insights in how the market in Asia is working how a European team can succeed in such an environment and uh, what it means for our plans for expansion into those markets. In terms of us, I'm talking about we as retailers and manufacturers. So please listen to our newest episodes from Le Vimlex Show. Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Wimlex show, this time brought to you from Stockholm, Sweden. My name is Lena and with me today I have Martin Malmström, who's the founder of BigRoy.com and who's just about to tell us a lot more about the topic of marketplaces and the Bangladeshi market. Martin, warm welcome and please introduce yourself. Thank you very much for being here. It's, uh, it's a great honor to be in this show. So my name is Martin. I just moved back from Bangladesh where I was an entrepreneur building up Picor.com, the largest classified site in Bangladesh. Um, so we scaled the team from myself up to 300 um, and made a company profitable at the earlier this year, which was extremely, extremely big milestone when you're having a sort of a, a go-to-market plan of almost six years. Apart from that, in Bangladesh, I was an investor and startup advisor to a couple of couple of companies in Bangladesh. Everything from when it comes to properties to uh, other types of e-commerce players. Do you have any personal connection with Bangladesh, or how did that come about? Given that you're Swedish, actually, we should maybe mention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I I'm born and raised in Stockholm, uh, in the rural part of Stockholm. So I didn't really have a lot of, uh, you know, exposure to the developing world growing up. As uh, I went to the university, I did my exchange program both in Singapore and Namibia, and then I worked and traveled a lot in sub-Saharan Africa uh, for a long period of time. So I had a, a, I developed a strong interest when it comes to developing markets over time. I, uh, I wrote my bachelor thesis in Namibia about the, the diamond dependency. I worked with orphanage in Ghana, uh, and I traveled a lot in general. So I, I knew that I had... I wanted to go back to the developing world at, at one point mm -hmm. um, to make a big impact. And I was working as a management consultant for a while, delivering PowerPoint slides uh, <laughs> by myself in the rural part of Sweden, which sort of wasn't really the excitement that I was looking for in my life. So what happened was that I started to reach out to a bunch of investors. I pitched myself. I pitched the potential ideas that I had. And eventually this idea was presented to me by our investors, uh, Shinnevik. Mm -hmm. Shinnevik had invested in Avito back in the days, um, uh, which was a tremendously good investment for them. Avito is a Russian classified platform, just like Bikroi now is in, in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think one of the top three in the world, I believe. It's yeah. Very large. And That's also correct. Swedish founded and Swedish owned, we should maybe mention. That's correct. That's correct. Or maybe no longer Swedish owned. I'm actually not sure. I think there's big investors uh, in that one as well. But Yeah. Okay. For, for, those of you, uh, for those who don't know, among the listeners, Schenevik is um, a large Swedish firm. Do you want to say a few things about them? I'm not sure they're so known. We've had them actually on the show. We've had uh, the CEO, the new CEO, interviewed by Alexander. Oh, um, 
Yeah, then maybe you should listen to that that podcast to get a better <laughs> intro than I can probably give. But it's a, it's an old uh, Swedish venture, uh, a, a big Swedish investment company that's been invested into a lot of exciting ventures across the years. Uh, one of the bigger ones has been Millicom in, in the developing world, which is a telco, uh, mm-hmm. done tremendously well. Um, they've also invested in Rocket Internet and Zalando, another another couple of cool online ventures. Mm-hmm. So they, they invested in Navito as well in Russia in the early days, uh, which went really, really well. So after a few years, they, they thought that, okay, this is a really cool business model. We understand it. We know the ins and outs. We, uh, we see the potential upside of it. So this basic sort of market dynamics where you have somebody buying and somebody selling, it exists all around the world. Everybody needs this type of service. Everybody has a secondhand used, uh, secondhand product to sell to somebody. So why not launch exactly the same type of business model into more markets? So what they did was that they founded a company called Saltside Technologies. Um, and Saltside started off its classified platform in Pakistan, uh, which is a, it's a huge market, strong economy. Uh, and Saltside struggled quite a bit in the market. Uh, after launching the MVP, it came up with... Uh, a strong new competitor came in called OLX, which is an internationally very renowned classified player. Mm-hmm. So af- after a, f- a few months or maybe even a year in operation, they decided to pull back because the, the competition from OLX was too strong. So maybe to, to go a little bit more back to sort of why launch a classified uh, platform in a developing world very early on. Um, in order to become a very, very profitable player, you need to have, of course, a strong economy uh, when it comes to the classified space. So when you launch in a market that is fairly new, what you, lo- you look at the macroeconomics. Um, is, is this a market matured enough for this type of solution? So you have, you know, what, what's the GDP like? What's the comp- competitive landscape like? Is there a this type of solution already available in, in the market, uh, but it's offline, for example. Um, how, how big is the internet penetration? Is internet already adopted by, by the local, uh, local market? Mm-hmm. Um, Pakistan was absolutely fitting those bigger criteria, but the competition was, became extremely, extremely tough. So Salsa then pulled back from Pakistan, and then they started to look into a couple of more markets, and that's when I came on board. Um, and we started to look at Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and in Ghana. Uh, so three markets, two in Asia and one in <laughs> one in Africa. I had a previous connection with with Ghana because I've been living there um, for for uh, for a few months. Uh, so I knew Ghana, um, but looking at the business potential of the three different markets, Ghana is a population of I think it's about twenty million, Sri Lanka maybe twenty two, um, and Bangladesh is a population of one hundred and sixty million. That's oh, a large country. Yeah. So clearly the biggest potential when it comes to. Uh, you know, the size of the market, the long-term prospect of the market. And I was coming back to what I described earlier with, you know, when moving into a developing economy, because you need to have a very long time horizon of your investment, because it takes a while for you to build traction, build momentum, establish that people actually want to pay for your service online, because it's a, you're, you're, you're opening up the market for a whole new type of solution. So Bangladesh is a market where they were liberated from from Pakistan uh, in 1971. They uh, um, they there was a strong independence independence war, insurgency war, and after after I think almost seven seven months of of war, they were liberated from from Pakistan. Uh, and since the liberation in 71, their economy has been very strong. Uh, they've been moving from seven babies per, per mom on average down to two, a GDP growth on average between four and 8%. Um, 
it's, it's a huge market. It's a huge potential going from a GDP per capita from $600 in, in 71 to almost $1,800 now in, in, uh, in, uh, in 2018, uh, which is comparable to, for example, Germany, which is mm. about 45,000, 45, I think. So it matched all the criteria. It, it certainly it did, right? It had a strong proof tracker record in terms of economy. The macro factors were there. Uh, the downside of Bangladesh as a market was that 3G wasn't available. So it was still 2G back mm-hmm. in 2013 or 12 when we started to look at the market. When did you actually move? In 2013. In 13, okay. Yep. And then you spent six years in total. Exactly. Coming back earlier this year. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So for the record, Bikra.com is a classified site. There is no online auctions. Correct. And how, how does the business monetize itself? So the business, we started off with not monetizing the business at all. So mm-hmm. I, maybe you can divide sort of the 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 traction of the business over over three different segments. The first two to three years was all about building traction and building momentum on the platform. Mm-hmm. A classified site is dependent on having both sellers and buyers mm-hmm. uh, liking the platform. And once you have two parts of the sort of the transaction uh, enjoying the platform, the snowball effects comes. Um, so in the beginning, you need to ensure that you have a lot of sellers on the platform that are selling the right type of product is able to um, uh, is, is able to to sell the the right product for the right price, and you need to have buyers that wants to buy that product. So in the beginning, there was a lot of ATL marketing. Um, the second part, we started to slowly monetize. Uh, so monetizing services because in, in Bangladesh at that time in 2014 15, there was nobody who charged anybody for online services. Everything is offline, right? So this whole whole way of developing uh, the customer behavior to pay for something online. It, it, it took quite a while. So slowly starting to introduce this first for businesses and as we went along for, for private individuals as well. Um, so now we charge, we're charging customers for uh, in, in different ways. One is uh, listing fees on the platform. So if you're selling a high ticket items, a car, property, motorbike, or even an expensive mobile phone, you as a seller have to pay X uh, euros or takas, the local currencies, to to post that ad on the platform, which is dependent on a bunch of different mm-hmm. variables, location and, and price of the product. Uh, we have premium services such as top ads and bump ups in order to make your listing get more attention on the mm-hmm. on the search page. We have corporate um, corporate banners where larger companies like Unilever or one of the telcos are putting up advertisement on the platform. Um, for SMB, smaller, medium businesses, for uh, you can put up a website called bicker.com slash Lena's Car Shop, where you have all of your car listings in one place. So you don't need to create your own website. You you know put all the content available mm-hmm. with us. Um, and then there's also Buy Now, which is home delivery, which is a fairly new feature that was introduced in uh, in 2018, where we started to scale it for real, mm-hmm. including shipping options as well. Yeah, exactly. So then we took part, uh, t- we took ownership of the in- entire fulfillment process, but it's a very small part of the business in comparison to the other other parts. And when it comes to revenues, can people today also pay? On Bikra.com or is it something that's still done physically between buyer and seller? So it, it depends and it's been sort of a gradual process moving towards paying online. Um, the, although the majority of the transactions on the platforms is being dealt, on the platform is being dealt with in, uh, in person between the seller and the buyer. But we do offer that opportunity. So you mentioned above the line marketing in the beginning, because my next question was going to be, where do the customers actually come from? Because I imagine that it's actually quite hard to be scaling supply and demand in sync, because assuming if they're out of sync for too long a time, people start losing interest. I mean, I imagine if I'm a seller and I put up all of my ads, 
and there is no customers, I'm going to stop wanting to post things and vice versa. So what, did you have a marketing budget from the very get-go or was it something that you had to sort of prove over time to your investors? Yeah, well, of course, that was a gradual process as well. No, we were fortunate enough that Shinnevik put in a lot of money into the venture very early on. Uh, mm -hmm. So they had a very long-term uh, sort of vision of what they wanted to Uh, what they wanted to do with this this company, mm -hmm. so they were seeing an investment period of you know six to ten years of of putting in money into this type mm -hmm. of company because of the macro factors of the economy. It's a very early, early stage uh, market, right? And they they uh, they knew that from the beginning, but they also knew that in order to to take off to get to some level where it's actually interesting to do business, you need to you need to invest a lot in marketing in order to, for that to take off. Mm -hmm. So what we did in practice in the beginning was that we actually called local classified sites. Uh, that was very, very small, or the local classified newspapers. So back in the day, at least in Sweden, I think in the mid-90s, we had something called the yellow pages, where mm -hmm. you had classified ad after classified ad, which, was, which were updated maybe once a month or something like that. So what we did is that we took that content and put that online. We called the sellers and said, hey, um, we have this new classified site ready. We can put it up on, on our, our platform. doesn't cost you anything, but you will get more buyers of your product. Most of the time they said, yeah, sure, it's no effort for me. Yes, yes, go ahead and do it. So you copy-pasted content from offline to online. Exactly. Something, huh? Exactly. So build the content on the platform and that's how we, that we did it. We, sometimes we took, uh, you know, if it was a car, for example, or if it was a mobile phone, we could Google the, the picture of the car or mo mobile phone and then put it up to make it more appealing for, for the buyers. Mm -hmm. So that was a very big investment in the beginning to, to sort of create a fundament of, of content on the platform. How manual a process was this? Entirely manual, from what yeah, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we needed so, uh, such a big team of uh, headcount, because as much of an online business as we're an offline business. Mm -hmm. Was there any competition when you started out? Yes. So when we actually launched in Bangladesh, there was one other company, um, which was funded by Telenor, uh, the larger telco in the Nordics, but they're actually really, really big in Asia, um, with the... Uh, Uh, with company with with telcos in in Bangladesh, of course, Thailand, Malaysia, uh, I think Malaysia as well. I might be wrong, but they're they're uh, they're very big, um, and Norway and Sweden they're very big as well. So they put in a lot of money into that venture. Um, so we had fierce competition fairly early on with somebody with pretty deep pockets. Uh, so that was a tough fight from the beginning. However, you could clearly see that we had slightly different focuses uh, early on, and I think those were the reasons why we were able to beat them at the end. But so I, I can, so so that was one competitor in the beginning that we had. Over time, Shibstat, which is another large classified player in, in Europe, they merged together with Telenor. So they became Shibstat and Telenor in Bangladesh. So from my perspective, they had the capital that was required to mm -hmm. pull off a really good fight and the knowledge because Shipstead had huge knowledge when mm -hmm. it comes to running classified sites. Uh, and that was also a classified site. So not something, no particular category that was in focus. No, classified broad, site. Just as you. Because my other question actually on that note, you mentioned that um, you would be able to sell anything on, on, on the classified site, including, for example, cars. And if you look at the European Landscape. I think most markets have clear champions in each category. Yep. I mean, there's one big player for cars, there's one for real estate. I guess those are perhaps the two biggest examples. But is that the same in, in uh, Bangladesh or is, are things or the, are people focused much more in, on big com for everything now? Yeah, so now it's more like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are, even in Europe, you have general classified sites. You mm -hmm. have Locket in Sweden, you have Le Bon Coin in France, you have Marktplatz in, in uh, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, so there are general classified sites that 
usually do really well because once you have the momentum, you have all the sellers, you have all the buyers. Mm-hmm. Same in the US, you have Craigslist, which is a general classified site, but they are by far the most profitable uh, sort of online platform in the US. But they're backdated if you look at their platform. They haven't done any development for the last 15 years, but they're doing great. Still the world's largest site, I believe, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so, too. Um, so we, we had ships at Telenor coming into Bangladesh um, with, with full force, which was very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. And then in 2014, I think OLX, Naspers came in into Bangladesh as well. So uh, OLX is a huge uh, international uh, classified player as well. Mm-hmm. So we had two people competing for the same, three players then, us, OLX, Naspers, and then Telenor ships that was fighting for the same space. Mm. So three international companies moving into Bangladesh with full force. Yet I know that Bikra.com is, is largest today. So you made it. What was the, uh, the path to success? What yeah. did you do differently? Yeah, we actually kicked them out. So both of them, uh, it was it was a longer process. They um, uh, they left both left the market in 2018 uh, formally. So they actually merged at one point and then they tried to sell the venture, um, but didn't succeed. So then they eventually it was just us left. So we were the only classified, we're the only classified site left. There are, you know, a couple of local ones that are not significant, but we are the only ones that are, um, we are the by far largest classified platform in Bangladesh, no doubt. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the reason for success was, so Bikro.com means sell in Bengali, the local language in Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. So as I said earlier, Bangladesh has a has a history of being, you know, being part of East Pakistan, being part of Pakistan. They were liberated in 71. So it's a very proud country, um, patriotic, if you will. So if you had to choose between a, a Telenor as a brand or Shipset as a brand, which is clearly not Bengali, right? And you have Olex, which is clearly not Bengali as well. It's an international big brand. Or you have a third option, which is Bikra.com, which means sell in Bengali. And we pushed ourselves in media as we were a company by Bengalis for Bengalis. I was the only foreigner in, uh, at Bikra.com. In the entire business? In the entire business in Bangladesh, yeah. Oh. So we were pushing, pushing our brand as being Bangladeshi. Uh, and that certainly made a, made a mark in people's, uh, people's mind, 100%. That's one of the biggest reasons uh, I think that we were able to to win the market. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a great brand name, right? Sell.com, basically. Bikroy means sell. So sell.com is a strong strong URL to have. Was that domain actually taken when you entered? No, no. Oh. Nobody had it. So it was that early, actually, on the market. Yeah. So when we also, when we moved into Bangladesh, the, the internet penetration was around 2 or 3%. So internet was, wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. So the number of people that bought very good, you know, good locally adopted uh, domain names weren't that many. So Bitcoin was available. Would you consider yourself having built the category in that market? 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, well, the other ones helped, of course, as well. But we were the we were the leading player uh, after about a year in operation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the brand name was absolutely uh, a key for us uh, to win the market. The other one was, which is extremely important, uh, was that we had a very strong focus on our operations. So as I said before, in order in order to get a snowball effect going on a classified site where you have buyers and sellers to actually like what they're buying and selling on the platform. Mm-hmm. It's easy to know what you're going to get. You have to make sure that you have the best content at all times. What people want to buy and what people want to sell. So, What was your biggest category? Mobile phones. Mobile phones, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess also owing to the rise uh, of that uh, part of the economy in the, in the country. Then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, mobile phones was absolutely, it was like a currency to some extent. People were buying, sell, the f- frequency was crazy. People were selling, we had accounts for private individuals who was not doing this on business, who was selling up to 12 mobile phones a month. They just wanted to upgrade. 
uh, for so a short period of time. Reselling used phones more so than actually people buying new phones. Yeah, and then eventually they turn into a becoming business, and you know they were mm-hmm. become a customer of ours. But in the beginning, they just did it to, mm-hmm. to upgrade. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you you buy a secondhand phone, you you know make it a little bit nice. I don't know, you change the screen or you change the battery, you can sell it for a little bit more, and then up you move in the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did in the beginning, which, which was extremely time-consuming and operationally heavy, was to make sure that all the ads came up on the platform. Uh, so we had sort of one level of quality there when people putting up ads on the platform through us because we were teaching people over the phone how to do it. But then people started to do it themselves without our instructions. Of course, we had instructions on the website. But people were posting book 170 taka. And that's not a very searchable. No, like what, what, what kind of book is it? Uh, do, do you have pictures? What kind of condition is it in? Like I, I don't know anything about this, right? So we have to put in a lot of effort to call these sellers and say, "Hey, in order for you to sell your product better and faster, we would like you to write a better title. And can we help you to write a better, better title? Uh, can we take a photo? What kind of a book is it? Can we Google it? Can we download it for you? And can we upload it for you to make sure that you actually sell it? And once they've sold the product." You know, that's a happy experience. That's great, right? And then they learn and slowly, slowly over time, uh, they get used to it. And then a new person coming into the website selling a, a car for the first time, for example, the first thing that they do is, of course, what is my car being sold for? What do other people write on my ad? So they benchmark against others' content. And they learn. And then once we started to introduce a paid service where you have to pay for putting up your listing uh, on the platform, put you know, in order to upload mm-hmm. your, your car ad, um, the quality increased even more. The other players in the market did not do that. Um, so they just let everybody post whatever they wanted to, mm-hmm. um, more or less. Of course, they had some mechanisms in place to make sure that the quality was better than what it was when it came in, but we did a much better job in making that happen. Bangladesh is not necessarily the most politically stable market, right? I think people have been following the past couple of years. There were, unfortunately, also terrorist attacks, amongst others. Uh, for you, on a personal note, was it, was it easy to get accustomed to the culture, being the only non-Bangladeshi in the business? Or? No, I think my first six months was extremely difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I came into to Bangladesh in, in I moved to Bangladesh in 2013. It was was a lot of political disturbances and violence when I moved. Um, there was a Molotov cocktail being thrown over my car, a fiery Molotov cocktail being thrown over my car. Uh, when I was on the way to office, there was a, um, a demonstration, a full, a big, large group of people in a demonstration train coming towards towards me, and they flipped over a bus in front of me with people in it, uh, and they took, put it on fire. I was able to take a detour and and, uh, and move away. Um, uh, we were had staff who was out meeting clients, and they were attacked by these uh, violent, during these violent demonstrations. So it was extremely turbulent politically. Uh, which was challenging. Uh, on top of that, you had the, my, my physical health, which was not great. I moved when I was maybe 68 kgs or something like that. I lost 10 kgs the first six months because I was food poisoned constantly, which was very, very tough. Uh, I couldn't find a good routine for myself when it came to food or working out or anything like that. Um, so I was, I was under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you had the cultural dynamics of, of managing work for the first time or working in a, in a, in a predominantly Muslim country. Um, and a very, very different culture, uh, what, what Bangladesh is. Uh, was there ever a time when you considered pulling out? Yeah. So thinking? I told myself minimum one year, no matter what. Um, and uh, after the first year, things became a lot better. 
but the, the first six months, I, I think I can tell. I can I probably write books about my first uh, first six months. Uh, I moved to Bangladesh not having any you know, extensive management experience, but all of a sudden I had to to build a team up, up to fifty people over the first six months, and that uh, that uh, there was a lot of tension in that process as well, mm-hmm. uh, where. Where you have the cultural shock, where uh, where you have hierarchies have to build into into management systems, and I'm like, no, no, this is <laughs> my name is Martin. I'm Swedish. Take it easy. <laughs> Very flat hierarchies, gonna, as yeah, is common in Sweden. Exactly. Maybe yeah. it doesn't work everywhere. Oh, it was difficult. Over time, that actually improved quite a bit. In the beginning, it was was very tough. Uh, they were surprised that I didn't have my own bathroom, that I did not have my own room. I was sitting in an open an- landscape with the rest of the team. And that was very, very uh, weird for people. And they wonder what kind of, you know, what kind of manager that I was. Um, but over time, that improved after people understood the way I was was working and the way I gave people responsibilities and ownership and and freedom within certain set of boundaries. They they grow grew uh, quite a lot as individuals. And over time, as the organization grew uh, to to a much larger team, they were much more receptive to adopting that culture. Once the rest of the organization was behaving hmm. somewhat in the same way, I did some research online and I found quite a number of pictures of you driving different initiatives around, well, I think one of them was women's rights um, and generally social engagement. And I saw some pictures of you and the team and it generally looks like the corporate culture was quite strong, at least from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was one of the things that I really wanted to do because when you see other companies in Bangladesh, uh, it's very hierarchical. You have the big boss who decides everything and you don't, you know, you don't take your own decisions, which uh, to me isn't really the way you enable uh, an organization to grow and to scale and to do accomplish great things and and give people responsibilities. Uh, so I wanted to do something different fairly early on and give a lot of uh, ownership and responsibilities to people. And in the beginning it was very tough because they were not used to it. It was not the part of the the culture and the mm-hmm. way of you do corporate stuff in Bangladesh. But over time, it certainly improved. The people that you recruited, did they have any kind of experience in the, in the digital? Economy, or where most most of the employees sort of first timers in that space. Most were absolutely first timers. Mm. As I said, when I moved, the internet penetration was two percent. So you know, the technology space was not really something that mm, that interests any anybody. Mm. But now, the internet penetration in Bangladesh is about twenty percent, twenty thirty percent, depending on what metric that you actually look at. But mm. it's forced the entire corporate space to move over to become more and more digital, Mm. um, which is interesting, right? Because they skip a few steps. We had desktops in the beginning. They hardly have laptops. They have smartphones or tablets. So they they move over to much more user-friendly, easy to, you know, quick, quick decisions kind of thing, Mm. rather than we have come from the background of using, using big, big desktops. So classifieds are, of course, not the only way to buy online. So what about general e-commerce? Are there any e-commerce businesses today that are locally founded yeah there's there's one um, th- yeah there are there's one e-commerce platform called Ashker deal that is doing really well um, there is uh, another one it was just launched called Evali uh, but there is a big one uh, that some of you know that might be that you're f- probably familiar with is Daraz um, which is a rocket internet ventures that was then sold to to Alibaba in in China, so they're they have a very strong dominance or strong strong position in the market in in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people who's going after the e-commerce space, both on the on the general side, and but also vertical by vertical. So it's uh, it's happening a, a, a lot of cool things is happening in Bangladesh. There's a lot of challenges when it comes to doing e-commerce um, f- for many reasons. One is logistics; it's extremely difficult to manage logistics to be. 
delivering things as per expectations and making sure that the package is always there because the, the third party providers is not there. So when we, we actually started to open up for this as well to do end to end delivery. And it's tricky, right? You have somebody, a motorbike driver coming out to, to deliver an iPhone 10, which is maybe 10 X his monthly salary. I understand that that person leaves with the phone. So it's a lot of complicated stuff when it comes to mm. delivery. Um, of course, you have insurances in place and you, you know, you improve your operations, you recruit better people, but it's difficult to scale. Um, so it's the, the, the whole logistics piece is difficult. Mm. Uh, also, when you, you know, the other part of it is when you actually deliver the iPhone, that goes well. You actually have cash in your hand to a large extent. Which is also a risk, right? Traveling with cash is, is complicated. Mm-hmm. Although meeting people in person, handing over cash with goods in hand. Absolutely. And may also not be the safest option always. Yeah. No, absolutely. If you're meeting someone in a dark alley, like, what, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a challenge. Uh, so you have to put a lot of those procedures in place to make sure that actually it's safe and sound. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a big challenge for e-commerce companies. But it's, it's improving. Mm-hmm. You know, you, have, you put tracking in place and you, you have... Uh, um, you have you have better people on the ground who understands the business. Mm-hmm. Is Amazon shipping to Bangladesh? No, are but they present? Uh, no, but Alibaba is with, through Daraz, but also through uh, Ali. What are they called? I forgot the name of it. They have a they have an e-commerce that is not they they leveraging the platform and the the inventory in China and then shipping it to to Bangladesh. To Bangladesh. Wouldn't they be a potential player that could also enter into the space? Classified spits, um, not so sure. That's not what really what they do if you look at uh, other markets. Uh, e-commerce, absolutely, for sure. They mm-hmm. could absolutely step in. Mm-hmm. But it's you need to be very hyper-local, right? Amazon has invested billions of dollars in, in India, for example, to to get the market uh, foothold in comparison to you had had Snapdeal in India, you had Flipkart in India. So there's a strong, strong competition. It's a very competitive space because a lot of people want to do e-commerce because it's 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 big, it's huge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I do think that Bangladesh is a different beast. And if you go, go, do step in, you need to be prepared for making a lot of investment for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people have coming in early, just like we did, and we were able to take a very strong position. And there is this saying when it comes to the classified space, uh, referring to Craigslist, uh, right? You, they've been having their dominant market position for for years, even though they haven't developed a lot of cool new features and making it more user-friendly. But once you have the the buying and the selling dynamics, it's uh, it's it's really, really good for a classified site. For e-commerce, it's different because it's just the best deal and then you're making the delivery happen, which making the delivery happen, and that is really, really thin margins. Mm-hmm. On a classified end of of it, we, we don't really own an inventory. We don't really have stock. Now we're starting to do it, but it's not it's not a big part of the business. But if you're posting a car ad on the platform, you pay us electronically. And as soon as you paid us, the ad goes live. We have almost no cost connecting to that. While on the e-commerce site, you have to source the product, which is done from the classified site from the seller. And uh, we have to source the product. We have to keep inventory. And then we have to deliver it. And then we have to manage the payment. Mm-hmm. For classified sites, that's not the case. So it's two very different type of businesses. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. That once you have sort of a large brand on the market, the customer acquisition dynamics are probably quite different, I would imagine, comparatively. Yeah. So in terms of marketing channels in, in, a, in a market such as Bangladesh, what you mentioned above the line earlier, but what would be your go-to channel? Is it TV? Is it billboards? How, how do you speak to Bangladeshi customers? Yeah, so in the beginning, our, our strategy was move offline to online. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of 
uh, energy and effort into ATL medium. So TV, radio, billboards, newspaper, press ads. Um, we were at one point we had the third most number of spots on TV over a period of time. So we had over, I think, 1,500 spots on TV uh, during a single day, which is, you know, it's a lot of spots on, on doing advertisements. So people certainly knew about our brand. Um, that, 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 uh, that over time, sort of once we hit a certain level of brand perception, because this amount of ATL investment actually made us to be the fourth most Google term in Bangladesh in 2014. Uh, so we're extremely popular. If you compared us to the other brands, we were we were dominating in terms of brand awareness. It was not only the amount of money that we invested, but we did it a lot smarter than the competition as well. I was going to come to that as a third or a fourth point on my sort of why we won against competition, but mm. hustling, doing doing great deals in all the investments that we made, going up to the TV channel head and say, hey, you know, what 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 kind of deal can we can we do here? Uh, instead of just putting a big bag of, bag of money and then asking them to to distribute it, mm-hmm. but in the beginning the TV uh, TV radio billboard uh, newspaper press ad was was big for us. But over time, you sort of we've established a strong presence on the ground, but internet penetration is still just eight percent. So why are we talking to <laughs> to to a big poor part of the population that doesn't have internet? So we started to move more and more towards. We always had a high, high, we invested a lot in online marketing, but now we started to more or less only do online marketing and very small efforts in ATR. Mm-hmm. So online marketing is Google PPC and Facebook PPC. Mm-hmm. And then we did a couple of local networks uh, to make sure that we, we gained traction. So we mo- moved from bringing offline to online, mm-hmm. you know, sort of being the enabler <laughs> of the entire market. And that was our responsibility because we were the by far largest online platform. Uh, and and over time we uh, we moved to bringing people from Facebook to online. So Facebook is the first point of entry for most people who gets access to the internet for the first time. You have a you know the Maslow's pyramid of what do you yeah. needs exactly. So you need to you need social interactions, and that's what's uh, what's happened with Facebook. So if you look at the internet population in Bangladesh and you look at the Facebook population in Bangladesh, those are two different things because the Facebook population is significantly bigger. Uh, if you ask a random po- Bangladeshi person on the street, do you use internet? They say no, but do you use Facebook? They say yes. Is there no other local site? No other local, uh, they off- no, no other local social media platform that is worth mentioning. Now, do you have you know Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok that is popping up? But uh, Facebook is by far dominating. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So we moved from going from offline to online to online to, uh, from Facebook to online. Mm. Um, yeah. So in the early years, then you were very much still building the category. Um, now that you have significant traction on the market, is growth actually speeding up? Are you accelerating in terms of growth? or is I mean, now you know you're longer with the business, of course. Mm. Um, would you say that it's going faster or was it rather so that you were able to capitalize on a lot of organic growth um, in terms of internet penetration early on and now it's rather stabilizing at all? No, yeah. So now I think the biggest growth for for a company like Bitcoin is, is absolutely yet to come. Uh, the mm-hmm. primarily because of the macro macro dynamics. You have internet population, you know, growing very very fast right now, moving from only two three percent when I moved in two thousand thirteen now to twenty thirty percent, and over the next five five eight years, it's probably going to double. So the exponential effect is is happening. It's happening right now. Uh, just you need to be patient for for it to come, but it will come. Uh, which is a 
it's interesting, right? Once you get internet for the first time, the untapped population, right? They're going to go through exactly the same process as the first 5 million did to some extent. They're going to use Facebook initially. They're going to connect with friends and family. They understand that, okay, so now what do we do? We need we can buy and transact things online, but there's more services available online now. You can buy, you can pay your internet bill, you can pay your electricity bill online. And now you can also buy your groceries online or you can buy a car online. So mm-hmm. All of a sudden, when the ecosystem is there, the snowball effect goes even faster. So right. the exponential mm-hmm. effect is, is going to go, uh, it's gonna, absolutely going to come. Do you think there's other markets um, in the emerging world today where you could do a similar journey, theoretically? Or has the train sort of left the station? Well, Myanmar is an interesting market, uh, although I think that they have, they have made a lot of progress over the past five years, I would say, with more telcos coming in and delivering 4G. Mm-hmm. And that's really changed the market dynamics when it comes to online businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, a then you have you know extremely underdeveloped market but that's also very challenging you have sudan for example or or uh, those type of markets that are more con- conflict areas that are absolutely an opportunity for these types of businesses but it's very early stage and it's going into a market with a high political risk also means a high business risk of mm-hmm. course was corruption ever a topic for you that you had to deal with i think it comes to mind Yeah, it's a very relevant question, and it sure did. Bangladesh is is one of the more corrupt countries in 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 the world, which unfortunately usually comes being one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, so when I moved there, I was coming there with a blonde, blue-eyed Swede, having, you know, I'm not going to pay out any bribes. That was going to be that was my initial mm-hmm. assumption, and that also happened. We did not pay any bribes, but we were exposed to it very frequently. I think it took me a year to get my work permit in order. Um, because the the guy who was managing my work permit, he came up to me and uh, did a few interviews. And then after the second or third interview, he looked at me and he asked me, do you want a good report or do you want a good report? Shaking his ha- head to, to the right and to the left. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I want a report and I want my work permit because I think that I'm eligible for it based on the legal requirements. And he's like, no, no, you don't get it. Do you want a good report or do you want a bad report? Indicating uh, that there was room for negotiation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, your, oh and I, I said, no, no, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, over time, there were there were a bunch of inquiries from governmental authorities. Uh, when it came to the tax authority, when we were submitting our first corporate tax, uh, they were like, okay, so how much tax do you want to pay? Hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> so that that's that's a challenge. Um, is that one of those things that is a little bit black and white? As in, you once you start, you're sort of going down. The, the downward spiral and you always have to do it and you just have to maintain strong and try to get away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was so, uh, so many other companies that, that sort of failed because they had to had to get the business decision through and they have to get something done. And then they, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of money at the time. It doesn't really matter. But once you start, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. So if, I, if, I, if anybody's considering going into a market where corruption is an, is an issue, don't just don't, don't pay our bribes. We were able to to manage it because I was so, I was, my, I was so, I felt so strongly about it. Um, but it's difficult. Oh, I, I can imagine actually. So um, seeing that we only have the duration of a short flight for this podcast, I have a final question for you. Um, if you were to do this again, what would you do differently, if anything? Any mistakes in hindsight that you'd like to avoid or anything that you feel I wish we had done that in a different way from the start. It would have saved us a lot of trouble or we would have grown faster. Good question. Um, I think that I, I, of course, did millions of mistakes as being sort of the first time where I was a 
a manager for so many people, uh, and there was a lot of lot of challenges with that when it comes to being responsible for for people. One book that I wish that I read earlier was is called The Great CEO from Within. It's a, it's a Google Docs book, right? Written by a y, y Combinator, X Y Combinator author. Uh, extremely good of how you structured your day to day life as a as a CEO. Um, you ha- how you make sure that you have time for everybody, but you also have time for your own shit, and you mm-hmm. isolate uh, the stuff that you really need to get done for yourself. Um, so that's one book that I wish that I read earlier and the book that I wish that I adopted earlier. Um, so implementing everything from OKRs to meeting calendar cadence and, uh, and giving away responsibilities and waiting for people to do their mistakes. Um, and then they learn from them, right? Mm-hmm. Which, is the, which is the beauty. The second, How far into the journey did you discover that book? <laughs> no, but I think I developed a lot. Of, so I read the book my last two years in Bangladesh, and mm-hmm. I think I adopted a lot of this stuff before reading the book. And I think a lot of CEOs uh, are adopting these things, but it was just perfected while after reading this book. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of good hands-on tips and tricks, by far the best management um, literature that I've ever read. Mm-hmm. I've actually seen it too. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that it's a Google talk and no one's actually published it. Yeah. Uh, the second thing... Um, I think the struggle that all I think all startups are going through is to to recruit the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. You have you know you have this long term vision, but you also have this short term need. You need mm-hmm. to meet these KPIs in order to satisfy investors or satisfy uh, clients. So what do you do to satisfy that need now, but also managing it in the longer run? So what I often ended up doing in the beginning, especially, unfortunately, was to recruit people who solved the need today but didn't solve the need tomorrow. It's one thing to be managed over one or two people or being a manager of 30 people or 50 people. Everybody cannot manage that growth. Um, so what I wish that I had done was to recruit, you know, the right level earlier. I, you know, I, I maybe would have lost a little bit on that decision on the short term, but in the long run would have absolutely been the right decision. Taking height from more senior people yeah, exactly. earlier on. Given they would have been available. It, that's also a problem, in, mm. in, especially in Bangladesh, where the senior management, uh, the talent there is, is very, very difficult to to get a hold of. Mm. But I think that we could have pulled that off. We would have done it better from the beginning. Mm. Sounds like a super interesting journey you've done. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Happy Not to be back in good. Sweden, though. Yeah. Enjoy to breathe <laughs> I, I the air, that. walk into <laughs> office every day. Not right now. Our listeners can see it, but it's starting to get very gray and cold here in Sweden now in November. But uh, at least it's um, politically a safer environment. Uh, that compar- <laughs> comparing, the, comparing the pollution levels, I'm very happy oh, to be okay. back in Sweden. Yeah, Dhaka, I, I hear it is actually one of the uh, cities with lowest quality of life in yeah. the entire world. Yeah, it's actually, I think it's like on place two or three after or yes before Syria or <laughs> which is uh, yeah I don't think that that uh, that statistics is justice though I love Dhaka I uh, I think it was a beautiful place to be in it's a really exciting really? part of the world yeah. now I'm happy to come back I have a lot of friends and family and vested interest as well I imagine after so many years six years it was a long time yep. yeah thank you so much for for joining us on the show today Martin um, pleasure hearing more about you and your journey in particular And um, I hope everyone found the episode interesting and hopefully speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Bye-bye. That's it. I hope you learned as much as I did uh, with this episode. And uh, stay tuned for the next episodes, which will happen in Amsterdam, uh, Stockholm, and of course, all over Germany with international guests from retailing and manufacturing businesses. (laughs) 